Hello and welcome to For What It's Earth, your hi. climate, environment and sustainability podcast. Did I come in too early with a hi? No, no, absolutely fine. I'm Emma. I'm Lloyd. Hi. Hi. Again. <laughs> uh, and this week we are talking about wildfires. Yes, we are. So I'm sure pretty much everyone listening has seen or at least heard of the wildfires uh, engulfing Australia at the moment. If you haven't heard of them, you're living under a rock, clearly. Yeah, pretty much apocalyptic scenes, I would say. It's pretty bad, like, yeah. Very orange, dark red skies, smoke everywhere that descended on cities like Sydney. Um, scenes of animals being cared for after you know being rescued from the fires, etc. Yeah, lots of pictures of koalas hugging firemen. Yeah, it's all been, it's all been quite stark in the news. Yeah, and, and that comes against the backdrop last year of the Amazon fires, California fires, fires elsewhere as well, which we'll all talk about. Yeah, these aren't the only wildfires um, that have been ravaging the world, as you said. So, yes, we're going to be talking about the current wildfire crisis in Australia, but we are also going to be having a look at some of the other fires and uh, major problems that they've been having um, across the world. Yes, yeah, so the Australia fires, for a start, um, I've got a figure here, 10 million hectares of uh, land has been burned. Yeah. and Enormous. this is That's about the size of South Korea, apparently, because uh, uh, South Korea is a standard measurement. Of, yeah, naturally, you know, that makes me... I yeah, can, one I, I know South exactly Korea, <laughs> and, but more well, more surprisingly, the smoke plume that comes from that mm. uh, about comes about half the size of the US in size. Mm. This smoke and it's been circumnavigating the planet was a lovely phrase yes. that I read the other day. Just powered by wind, um, and you know the problem with this is, or one of the main problems with this smoke, not only is it kind of dulling our lovely sunshine days. It's obviously full of pollutants from the fires. So um, one of the things I read the other day was that all of the fine particles from the smoke, some of them are so fine that if you inhale them and they get into your lungs, they can actually pass into your bloodstream and people are worried about them exacerbating um, other kind of existing heart and lung conditions. Rollings together, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I mean, I was reading that um, oh, in, in uh, Canberra, the, the Australian capital, uh, the air quality on the 3rd of January was rated the third worst of all major global cities. And in Sydney, it was like 11 times what would be classed as hazardous levels. Gosh, yeah, it's awful. And some of the images um, are just stark, aren't they? They're, they're really hard to... The, the, yeah, the, the, there was a town of, uh, I think it was Malakuta, people on the beach escaping the fires and had to be picked up by boat yes. to escape. And it was terrifying absolutely terrifying we have actually got some pictures um so my sister's actually in australia at the moment and she shared with us yeah. some of her pictures um so if you head over to our instagram you can see um what sydney looked like through her eyes um just a couple of weeks ago um with the smog literally rolling into the city and then she's got kind of a before and after picture and video of um, a view of the harbour bridge that you should be able to see uh, as you would on a normal day and then standing in the exact same spot um just a couple of weeks later when the smoke has just engulfed the entire view it's really yeah, it's really hard to kind Eerie. of to see. And you were saying she couldn't get, um, she was struggling to get her farm work yeah, hours so, up. Yeah, so the way it works if you're a Brit going over on a working visa to Australia is you have to have 88 or something days um, of work on a farm in their agriculture industry in order to get your second year visa. So she's out there at the moment and is trying to get 88 days of farm work. 
but no farms are hiring at the moment. And it's either because some of their farms have been decimated by the fires um, or they're just not operating at the moment because of the smoke. And this means there's this huge surplus of travellers who would normally very easily be able to find farm work because agriculture is such a big in, like industry, big player mm. out there who are really struggling. So everybody's kind of competing and trying to find anywhere that will take them on for these required amount of days. So with these fires, particularly the Australian fire, uh, there's obviously a lot of talk about the causes and climate change is undoubtedly a huge factor in that. But before we go spouting off uh, information we uh, read secondhand, um, I, I went and did my own uh, top quality investigative, investigative journalism. I'm so proud of you. I went um, to interview Professor Stephen Durr from Swansea University who is a wildfire expert and very conveniently for me, uh, has an office directly above mine. <laughs> and we're rubbing shoulders with the major news outlets because he just finished a BBC interview that same day. So that's that's the tier we're on of what it's earth. Absolutely. So Us, I'm, BBC, same thing. Ba- basically the same thing, right? <laughs> Move over, you amateurs. So I'm going to stop talking and uh, let Professor Stephen Durr take over and you can listen to him um, when we sit down for a chat. <laughs> So thank you for joining us. My pleasure. So I suppose the first question, most obvious question is what's behind the fires in Australia currently? Yeah, what we have to remember about Australia is that fires are very common in Australia. So the Australian vegetation has co-evolved with fire. It's one of the most flammable continents that we have. Uh, And for example, the eucalypt forests that burn right now as we speak, they often burn around every 30 years or so naturally. So it is a very, very fire-prone area. But presumably the problem is that they're burning more frequently. Correct. The main problem is is, is partly more frequently. So in some areas, uh, particularly around Sydney, some of the forests have burned six, seven, eight, ten years ago and already burning again. Right. So they're sort of pushed out of their natural fire recurrence interval, so the frequency at which they burn. Uh, but perhaps even the bigger problem is that these fires in their aerial extent that basically now cover an area all the way from the coast of Queensland, way north, going all the way through New South Wales, through Victoria, uh, down into South Australia. The area that is burned right now in the eucalypt forest is much greater than anything we've seen in recorded history. So is this um, considered more of a one-off event or is this a pattern of... The, the, the new normal, I suppose, pattern of things to come. That's a very good question. That's a question that applies to many areas uh, in the world. So... If I can just look at the global picture right now, Mm -hmm. we actually have less area burning around the world than we've had uh, 30 years ago, 60 years ago, 300 years ago, which often surprises uh, people who hear about fire because there's so much on the news about fire. But what we are actually seeing around the world is that we are replacing flammable landscapes, particularly savanna, grasslands that constitute about 70% of the area burned around the world. We're replacing that with agricultural land that tends not to burn which at the global scale has resulted in a reduction of the area burned with fire. And this is actually often misunderstood as climate change not having an effect on fire. However, and this is really the big but in this story, those areas where fires are particularly a problem, such as the eucalypt forests in Australia for human populations, uh, some of the boreal forests, some of the forests uh, in Siberia, forests in Alaska, in Canada, in the Western United States, those forests seeing more fire now. So they're burning larger areas, they're burning more frequently, and the individual fires tend to be much bigger than they used to be in the past. So uh, would you say that these areas aren't 
in, in terms of biodiversity and the life there, presumably they're not very well equipped to deal with fire that that, that is that frequent and occurring. That's that exactly regularly. right. Those areas, we have to understand that those areas are fundamentally very well equipped to deal with fire. And in fact, they rely on fire to sustain the ecosystem as it is. The ecosystem has co-involved with fire. We had fire for about 400 million years on the planet. And okay. the eucalypts in particular are very, very resilient to fire. Those trees don't usually get killed in the fire. Um, but if the fire occurs too frequently, we see more and more of those trees actually not surviving. And if the area that is burned is very, very large, like is the case now in Australia, it's very difficult, difficult particularly for the animal population to recover because many of the animals will die. Many of them can flee, of course, but the more extensive the fire is, the more uh, the animal populations will be affected. Yeah. And they really struggle to recover, not just because the fatalities are so high, but also they don't really have areas to migrate to that are currently not affected by fire. So I was also reading something about um, a positive Indian Ocean dipole. Yes. And that was cited as one of the potential drivers behind the current wildfires. Yes. So basically the main driver behind the current wildfires, or let's say not the fires themselves, but the extent uh, and the severity of those fires is exceptionally dry conditions. So uh, depending on which indicators you look at, this particular drought we've seen now in Australia is the most extreme one we have had in recorded history. And this is basically due to this uh, oceanic phenomenon that allows basically warm air to sit over the Australian continent and not be replaced by cooler moisture air. Right. Okay. So this is the, the underlying problem with that prolonged drought. Uh, Australia is a continent that's very well adapted to drought. Droughts are not unusual. But because we had such a widespread uh, and intense drought that has now been combined with very, very high temperatures, the highest temperatures we've ever had in Australia over a large area, um, if you combine those two factors, you generate a very, very flammable scenario. And this is essentially the climatic reason or the fire weather reason why we've had such extensive fires. Great. Thank you very much. Amazing. That was... I really enjoyed that interview. Thanks so much for speaking to him. He's made... Yeah, thank you so much, um, yeah. Professor Dirt. Uh, it was a fascinating uh, discussion. A lot of things I didn't know. So you're going to hear from him a bit later as well. But what we're also going to do is release the full interview of about 12, 13 minutes yeah. separately. Um, I think we're going to do that on Instagram and YouTube, probably. Yes. We're going to embrace the 21st century, uh, hit all the media channels. <laughs> you know uh, where to find us, Jack. Exactly. It'll, it'll and be there. We will let you know as well on our social media how to find this. Um, I would really encourage you to listen to the full interview because it was absolutely fascinating. Yeah, it's not that long. It won't take too much out of your day, but it was too long to put in the podcast, but still worth sharing. So, absolutely. Yeah. So thanks. Thanks very much for going to chat to him. He was brilliant. That's all right. It was, it, was, it was a long it trek. Better upstairs. than we would. Oh, yeah. You know, you've got to get those steps in, though. <laughs> yeah, my, my, my Fitbit was happy. <laughs> so here's a fun fact. Oh, we've got a fun fact. I read um, was that... The average wildfire will travel about twice as fast as the average human can run. Wow. Not so fun if I, you're the one in the, fire, in, the, in the fire. I was just going to say that. that. That is a great fact. <laughs> a wonderful fact. Not fun. Not so encouraging. That's a little bit terrible. I, I, I uh, talked about this with uh, Professor Deer as well, and he, he confirmed my, my extensive research. Um, and he was basically saying, yeah, if you're caught in a forest fire, there's not a lot you can do. What should you do? Well, he said, "Don't run uphill." That's because the natural point. human instinct. Uphill. Yeah, the natural human instinct is to go uphill because obviously you know you escape Seek floods ground. and yeah. animals maybe. Uh, but with forest fires, 
it, it, it kind of will change depending on the way the wind's blowing. Mm. But especially if the wind's behind it, uh, the wind will push it up the slopes because, you know, the, the air will go up the slope with it Actually. and help fan the flames upwards. And then also you get like preheating. So especially if it's a steep slope, you get preheating of the fire, heating what will about to burn oh, gosh. further up. So it'll catch quicker. Crumbs. So run downhill if you've got if the option. Possible. Yep. Um, Wonderful from that, there's safety not much advice you can do. The two of don't us. climb a tree. No, no. Don't pick you. something flammable to climb. No, no. Um, I, I don't think zigzagging helps. <laughs> no, I think that's to avoid like gunshot, isn't it? Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> so don't do that. Um, um, generally, um, everyone be a little bit safe about dead. where you're going, and maybe don't yes, plan, plan to be in a wildfire at risk uh, region. Yeah, do your research. If you are in Australia right now, there's a lot of apps and things that can help you map. Listen where to people you, who know be. better than you. So, do you know who else can't always um, outrun fires? Uh, Animals. Uh, yes, we're not just talking about humans that are impacted. We've yeah, got to talk about the massive selfish of me. <laughs> the massive impact that these fires in their huge range can have on biodiversity. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we mentioned earlier, didn't we, the uh, pictures that are doing the rounds of baby wombats and koalas and kangaroos. Sidebar, etc. Wombats are massive. Yeah, yeah I they had are. no idea how big they were. It's not really something you see that often. No, I mean, they're not exactly native to this country, are they? So I've never exactly. encountered a wombat. But um, yeah, fascinating. Massive things. Absolutely. Very, anyway, big, very big marsupials. Off from wombats. Yeah, uh, I was reading that the and a number that's going around at the moment is half a billion animals affected by the wildfires in Australia. Um, so, so this number is possibly correct in when you talk about numbers of animals affected not necessarily, however, number of animals killed mm. because that number is based on a survey that was done a while back on the approximate number of like reptiles and birds and marsupials in a given area mm. or like per square mile in Australia or something. And they sort of multiplied up that based on how many hectares have been burning. So that also doesn't necessarily take into account the fact that birds can fly away. Mm-hmm. Birds aren't necessarily very common uh, victims of wildfires. Larger animals like kangaroos can run away. Lizards can burrow, but there's not that much information on lizards in a lot of Australia. So we don't know for sure, but we know it is going to be a lot affected. And also you've got to bear in mind that even the ones that run away, much like vastly reduced food stores then because of obviously burned yeah like like you said with birds they might very well be able to fly away from a wildfire but if they've got no other branches to land on also because they've been cremated and all of the berries on those plants mm. and all of the insects that are around are no longer there they're, they're going to die not necessarily of directly being burnt by a wildfire but you know by being squeezed by the fact they've got no food sources so they'll die of starvation but especially long term when uh, if you consider what uh, professor Dur was saying in that a lot of these areas are burning more intensely and more frequently than they should be. Mm. Uh, I say with inverted, uh, <laughs> like with air quotes, air quotes. Should, should be naturally. Yeah. So long term, their food source is going to be depleted as well. And one of the other things as well I saw, which hadn't crossed my mind before, is, as you said, like smaller, like rodents, marsupials um, and smaller creatures, ground dwelling creatures can run. Mm. Um, but a lot of the ones that are ground dwelling and small little marsupials and things that would normally hide within 
low vegetation and shrubs are having to then leave those areas because those areas are burning and and escape to much more open areas without without as much vegetation and then they're natural predators um so you know bigger cats foxes things like that are basically catching them the moment they come out into these that's open what i call areas. a bad so day yeah, yeah it's oh, catch no. 22 isn't it um yeah i think one of the things as well mostly with australia is because such a huge area is burning um ecologists are looking at it at the moment as possibly having incredibly long-term impacts on australia's just ecology and biodiversity and food chains because as you said you know you take one player out of the food chain or if one species suffers it has a huge knock-on effect and ripples through the rest of the populations of Mm -hmm. the surrounding area um and Australia is in many places a biodiversity hotspot and it's got so many endemic species. So I think it's got over 240 species of endemic mammals. Um, And if they're endemic, they don't occur anywhere else. So if their population is decimated in some of their only key habitats, we we risk losing some of these amazing, uh, really individual and unique species. Yeah, I mean, um, with the koalas, for example, which are uh, almost like the... the, poster boy i want to say of, or poster child of, of the fires um they're making the news people are worried uh it'll lead to their extinction it, it won't that's not directly going to lead to their extinction now because a lot of the wildfires are primarily in for example like new south wales uh in the in the southeast and koalas do have a larger range than that however obviously the, the greater the area that we reduce for them like their numbers aren't that huge anyway they've got other problems to deal with like chlamydia is a big koala problem yeah that seems to be the one fact that everyone knows about everyone koalas. knows that yeah they do i can confirm um can you because i how went to a, a koala sanctuary Tell in port Macquarie. that's why <laughs> <laughs> that's how i know yes sure don't turn this into anything weird um it's <laughs> a so long term especially if the this becomes the new normal mm. yes that's gonna but bad equals bad equals pretty bad yes, yes. pretty pretty bad so it's quite clear that climate change is the primary driver, I'd say, behind the bushfires. There are things going on, like really unique weather conditions, as we were saying, but climate change in general is making things like this more common and is worsening the conditions and basically making vegetation drier, uh, winds are more likely to take embers, etc. Yeah, and the um, the Australian Bureau of Meteorology... Meteorology? Meteorology. Meteorology. The Australian Bureau of Meteorology in 2018 um, said that the Australian climate itself um, had warmed by at least one degree since uh, 1910. So in the last yeah. de- um, decade? Century. <laughs> Sec- in the but last actually, century. Most yeah. of that warming has happened in the last like 50 years or so. Yes. Thank you, coal industry. Thank you so much. <laughs> but also, uh, climate change is making the fire season longer. Yep. So it's it's warmer earlier. I mean, at the moment we're so we're talking in January. This is only normally the beginning of fire season. This is the beginning. So there's of the another season, couple of yeah. months normally. So you can you can also see the impact of climate change on some of the other parts of the world that commonly burn, which takes us quite nicely to California, doesn't it? Big one is California. Again, yeah. very seasonal fires. Um, they're used to having big big wildfires every yeah, I mean, season. The, but the last, last couple, couple of years, it's been really intense. It's been in the news regularly, hasn't it? I, I was in California uh, back in uh, October. Oh, bragging. <laughs> and we were driving through Yosemite, and even mm. driving through there, we saw a lot a lot of land that had been burnt out completely and there were um, fire trucks and uh, firefighters sort of positioned every uh, couple of hundred metres just watching the valley just on duty basically oh, gosh. to keep watch just in case anything else sparked up and that's not even really the fire season. No. 
but they're there. They've got to be. Because again, like we're saying with Australia, the far season's becoming longer. It's becoming harder to continually fight these fires. It's becoming harder to manage the land in between as well. Because there's normally some downtime in between forest fires mm. where you can say, okay, we're going to clear a lot of the scrubland. We're going to get rid of this drier vegetation. That is going to be a perfect tinderbox in these conditions. There's less time to do that. Interestingly, also with Australia, um, so most firefighters are volunteers and particularly yes. now they're drafting in so many people at the moment. But Australia's firefighting population is also an ageing population. Um, they're, really? they're, they're, they're struggling a little bit more to recruit younger people into the profession. So we're also getting... I wonder if um, that'll change now generally with slower. the oh, I hope of these. So. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah, you're right. Possibly. But at the moment, that's, yeah, that's something they're slightly concerned with. Yeah. So what we should say is that with forest fires around the world, so Australia, California, Amazon... Climate change makes these more likely to happen and can make the intensity and the severity uh, worse. Mm. But there are also, we should acknowledge, different causes quite often that can spark these fires. Yes. So with the Amazon, for example, a big part of that was land clearing by farmers mm. on purpose, Yep. which gets out of control. In California, thunder strikes and, you know, the, the more natural causes, but also... Uh, aging infrastructure like electrical um stations what would you call them pylons pylons um are haven't been very well maintained in the last couple of years mm. um if you're in the states you'll probably know this already because it's a big part of the news there that's their electricity company p you want to say pg and e pg and e um are going bankrupt because they've been fined so heavily for starting quite a few fires mm. So this is really interesting, actually. So in California, so basically 2018 was one of the most destructive um, wildfire seasons they've ever had. So in 2019, because they managed to attribute quite a lot of the 2018 kind of initial sparks of the fire coming from these big power companies, the power companies themselves then actually scheduled in blackouts when conditions were particularly bad weather-wise yeah. so that they weren't um, as likely to then cause a, a a fire and it outraged quite a lot of um, residents they were fuming that their power had just been switched off but i mean if i was them i would much rather not have power for a few days even if i didn't have warning mm. about it uh than have a wildfire kind of rip through my property well this is it i, I completely understand that in this day and age living without power is quite a big deal mm. for many reasons not just because you can't play any playstation but also you might rely on it to cook and um to just heat your home, mm. which I don't know if that's necessarily that much of a problem in California in the summer, but... You need air conditioning, though. Air conditioning. Very good point. Thank you. So, uh, look at me not understanding what I'm talking about. Are you just going to California. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's unfortunately one of those necessary things, as you said, like part and parcel of living in a forest fire hotspot. Like you might live on a floodplain and realise that flooding might become part of your life. Mm. You, we've got to do what we've got to do to avoid it. But in that vein, it sort of exposes some interesting uh, questions about wealth disparity. Yes. And and whether money can help us be resilient on an individual basis. Exactly. Because in California, California for example, they're trying to uh, bring in rules on build, making buildings with uh, non-wooden roofs of clearing certain spaces around housing so they don't have any vegetation around certain suburban areas. Mm. So a lot of these measures, these prevention measures are quite obviously more easily achieved when you've got the money to do so. So poor communities are going to struggle to do it. And it's such, such an irritating feedback as well, isn't it? Because if the poorer communities aren't able to prepare themselves and prepare their their kind of surroundings for these things, they're also going to be the worst affected when it does happen and the least able to recover. 
precisely yeah it's that recovery afterwards isn't it um so last summer as well siberia a huge part of siberia was also on fire had these huge wildfires yeah, there's so many more fires that actually didn't really make uh, headline news in the same way no and precisely because it didn't directly impact um human economy or human life so these parts mm. of siberia weren't burning anywhere near towns anywhere near people so for a lot of it was just kind of left alone to do its own thing um so it ended up reaching i found in one report about um 5.9 million hectares of Siberia Ooh. was on fire at one point last year, um, which is pretty which crazy. Which half the size of the Australia fires. Yeah, at their current um, size anyway. Yeah, yeah. By the time people listen to it, they'll probably be an even, even higher number. Unfortunately, yeah. Just quite, because they're obviously ongoing. Um, but again, um, eventually, you know, action was taken when people were kind of um, kicking off about like the, the amazing amount of biodiversity loss that was going to be lost to these fires in Siberia. Because a lot of Siberia is pristine. Um, yeah. Uh, but also one of the interesting things is because there's a lot of carbon stored in the peat in Siberia, um, actually the burning in Siberia can be so much worse for the climate change if it's burning centuries old or decades old peat that's stored carbon, um, which would traditionally stay stored in that soil. Um, from yeah, that and with all these forest fires worldwide, you kind of get into this unfortunate f- uh, feedback loop where as more things burn, there's more less... Carbon. More, more climate change and also less things less vegetation to reabsorb the carbon yeah. later down the line mm. doom and gloom eh doom and gloom so i suppose we should talk about what we can do which is a tough segment when we're talking about massive wildfires i know we always try yeah. and end on it you know unless you're a firefighter yourself or in government you might think in which oh, if you are do. a firefighter i salute you yes absolutely. gosh yep so what can you do um, your mate Stefan Dewar had some thoughts, didn't he? Should we play some of those? Yeah. I just wanted to ask, what can we do, if anything, going forward? There is many things we can do, and what we tend to focus on as a society is fighting fires as they occur. And fundamentally, once a fire is in the canopy of trees, like the ones we, we're seeing in Australia now, there's virtually nothing you can do about them hardly anything in terms of the resources. If you see those aircraft flying around, helicopters, massive amount of money thrown at those, it's very ineffective. The very sensible thing to do is to manage the landscapes in a way that they are not as flammable as they are. So, for example, in Australia, and there's a big debate about this in the media right now, in Australia, what they've done over many years, and even the native population has done this, is what's called prescribed burning. Mm. So you basically let a fire run through a forest, or it could be a grassland, under very mild weather conditions, And that means that the fire moves very slowly. It only burns the the dead material that's on the forest floor, the dead grass. Um, It doesn't affect the trees. It doesn't burn the tree canopy. And this means that if there is a real fire, a wildfire under summer conditions, the fires will still occur, but they don't burn so rapidly. Their bones don't burn so much fuel. They don't burn so hot, if you wish, and they're easy to fight. It certainly helps, but it doesn't entirely stop fires. So, for example, now, because we've had such a strong drought, Uh, and uh, such high temperatures, it's doubtful whether the prescribed burning uh, under cooler conditions would have made a big difference to those fires. When the fires are extreme, the same as it was with California last year, um, the fires can still travel through the canopy, they can still uh, basically burn such large areas. So prescribed burning is one thing which might help under not so extreme conditions. Another thing we need to recognize is that now the population density in areas that are forested it's much, much greater than it used to be in the past. So we have a much higher um, interface area between human populations, buildings, and forests. And we have to realize that forests burn naturally, 
uh, and therefore we have to be prepared for those forests to burn. So if we simply try and keep fire out of the landscape and we basically fight every single fire before it, before it can get too big, this only means that that landscape will accumulate more and more flammable material. And if then eventually it burns, as we've seen in many areas in California, the fires are very extreme. In Australia, people really have learned to live with fires. Um, and if you, if you think of the fatalities, we, we've exceeded 20 fatalities now in Australia in these fires. But if you look at the extent of those burns, that's actually, I think, as tragic as it is for the individual, it's very impressive how few people have been affected by those fires in terms of death. Yeah. So, so the Australians are very well prepared uh, to, to deal with fire. So obviously he spoke a lot about things that you and I personally can't control there. He's, he's spoken about governments and land management. And so we have got some things, or we've, we've racked our brains to kind of think of things that you and I can sort of do to help out when it comes to wildfires. Yeah, the the obvious one which people are probably tired of hearing of is reduce your own carbon footprint. Yeah, long term. In the obvious ways. Yeah. We will post lots of links on who you can donate money to. Yes, there's a, there's a lot of stuff at the moment about asking for donations. Two that I did have a Google of and I think would be good people to support would be so the Australian Red Cross. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're um, providing a lot of fire relief um, and, um, and also protection for local communities and support. So for all of the people that have been displaced from their homes and their communities, because these fires obviously don't necessarily have somewhere to go, they might not have relatives to stay with. So providing shelters and also psychological trauma um, they're helping to deal with as well, which I think is a really interesting thing to address. So it's not just um, like physical first aid, it's psychological first aid which I thought was quite interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, but also you can directly donate to some of the fire services themselves who are kind of drafting in mm-hmm. volunteers because they obviously need um, a lot of money for resources. Um, things like even just like fuel for the trucks to get them out to where they need to be and, and things like that. So you've got the New South Wales Rural Fire Service, the County Fire Authority in Victoria and the Country Fire Service Foundation in South Australia are three that you can kind of donate directly to. So yeah, like you said, we'll pop some links up um, if you do feel like throwing some cash at the problem. It's well received, I think. And you can also donate, um, as well as to people and firefighters, you can donate to wildlife sanctuaries. uh, So places in Australia that have taken in, for example, koalas, wombats, uh, other animals as well. Fabulous. So I think that's just about all we've got time for today. I hope that's covered uh, some of your burning questions. Oh, lovely pun. Too well soon? Done. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if uh, we didn't answer your questions, or actually if we didn't uh, answer what you were hoping to ask, then get in touch with us and we'll try and find out for you. We'll endeavour to do so. Yeah, and if you're in Australia, um, why not write in with your experiences, your opinions, etc. We'd be really fascinated to hear them as well. Yeah, absolutely. So don't forget, you can keep in touch with us on Instagram. Yes. What Earth Pod. That's Twitter. So on Twitter at What Earth Pod and at Instagram on... For what it's Earth Pod? Cast. Cast? Podcast. Oh, I had this. (laughs) For what it's Earth Podcast. Uh, It's the New Year's break. You've had a... a, We've had a few weeks off over Christmas now. I don't know Facebook at For What It's Earth Podcast and you can send us a cheeky little email at For What It's Earth Pod at gmail.com. I need to get these tattooed on my arm. I think you do. I think you do. Maybe with our logo or something just to really rub it in. Rub it in. And don't forget also to hit subscribe and leave us a cheeky little review on iTunes or wherever you are listening to this podcast. Yes. So thank you so much for listening um, and we will see you very soon. Bye. Bye.
Hold it right there, Lloyd. We forgot to do our one regular segment. I heard like a cartoon screeching sound in my head. Like yeah, that's what I was going off. for. Yeah. So I'm really glad that that... Well, like a, a, a record... A proper... Stopping. <coughs> that's going to sound horrific. Yeah. I'll tell you what it is. It's because you've got these new comfy chairs. So last time I was here, we had like a pillow fort. Uh, which Temple is still of Peace, lovely. we called it. The Temple of Peace. Yeah. Uh, at the moment, we've got the Temple of Comfort because we're each on a brand new sofa. Oh my gosh. It's like a swivelly, deep sofa and I'm loving life. I will put some pictures on, on the Instagram, but it feels... Oh, we're so laid back. So that's probably why I blame you and your furniture. I'm so sorry for investing in new furniture. <laughs> it's all right. Well, thank you. Go on then. What have you done? Uh, I mean, that, Quick. Could, that could be that can be one of mine. Um, we bought it secondhand, so we didn't contribute to, I don't know, commercialism and stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> commercialism and stuff. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. well, um, you know, save it from landfill or whatever. Down with um, commercialism stuff. You know, also obviously saved ourselves quite a lot of money. So we did um, did buy this furniture secondhand. Um, you know, we love the reduce, reuse, recycle here, don't we? So We do, we do. Um, my one good thing is I finally have been to a waste-free shop. Now, like we're most of the way through well, season that's... two, um, like a year later, I finally been to a waste free shop. It's because there's not that much up, but there are one or two in Swansea, but they're a bit further out, mm. um, and they're not necessarily explicitly waste free shops. But one's open on my university campus, oh, so perfect. I'm going there now and getting like refills of washing detergent and things. Well done. Yeah, I'm getting my snacks there as well because they've got oh, like really nice like all. nuts and little chocolate raisins and things like that. Oh, yum! Mm. Sounds good. You can bring some of those to our next episode. I can. T- tasty sustainability. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Cool. Mm-hmm.